Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote some words that often get recited in the retelling of the Christmas story. Words that can be found in Isaiah 9 verse 6 when he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is his description of what the arrival of Jesus would be, that Jesus would be the prince, that he would be a ruler and authority who comes to initiate and bring peace to the world. Which raises the question, do we actually have that kind of peace in our world? Is there peace in the world? If Jesus truly is the prince of peace, are we experiencing what the Bible describes as peace? Now the word peace in the Hebrew scriptures would be a Hebrew word that is known as shalom. And so this Hebrew word shalom is important because for us, we don't have quite the depth of meaning that this word shalom would have. For us, peace is a very simple word that means a lack of violence. That it's just not being at war, right? It's what, if you ever happen to be in a pageant one day, it's, it's what you hope for, right? You want world peace. But in the scriptures, when the scriptures describe Jesus as being the prince of peace, um, if you were a Jewish, if you were, if you were Jewish growing up, you would be very familiar with this word. Even if you didn't speak Hebrew, you would say uh, every Sabbath, you'd say Shabbat Shalom. This word in the Hebrew scriptures has far more depth than we often think of. That the word shalom is about peace and it's about wholeness and health and harmony and blessing. Let me describe shalom for us this way. We could talk about shalom in three overlapping areas. When we talk about the creation of humanity, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And what he created in the Garden of Eden was shalom. That in this garden, this garden is a garden of wholeness and a garden of harmony and peace amongst humanity. And so in the garden, there is this overlapping shalom that is existing. A peace that exists within the human self, within our human relationship with God and within human relationships between each other. Shalom exists at this moment in the garden of Eden. It's this perfect picture of humans knowing who they are as made in the image of God. And so I want to talk about each of these because as we talk about Jesus bringing peace, each of these areas become very important to our understanding of what it is that Jesus offers us. So in the realm of self, this would be how, what we talk about when we talk about something like wholeness. It would, this would be the kind of peace that learns to become an integrated person. What I mean by that, if you've ever heard of the word integrity, it means you're the, it's, you're the same person whether people are watching or not. That's becoming a whole person. Or if you are more into math language, right? Integers are whole numbers. Fractions are not whole numbers, right? And so it's becoming a whole person instead of a fraction of a person. And so often the reality is the way we think of ourselves is we can divide ourselves into many different parts. And there's parts of us that we like, but then there are parts of us that we really wish weren't there. And so maybe there's the part of you that is struggling in a certain way. That there are, are particular thought patterns or addictive behaviors that is a part of you. And it's a part of who you are. It's a part of the decisions you make. It's a part of, it's impacted your life and your experience. Maybe there's a part of you that's experienced pain and trauma. That as you tell your story, it's a part of the reality of your story and your life and your experience. There's a part of you that's influenced by your families of origin. That are, you are you, not just because of you, but you are you because of your parents and, how, and the way that they have formed you. There's a part of you that's maybe anxious and worried. 
A part of you that doubts God. A part of you that is struggling with particular sins. A part of you that is deeply devoted to Jesus. And so wholeness is taking all of those parts and reintegrating them into the whole person. There's a psychologist by the name of David Benner who described ourself this way by saying, while we tend to think of ourselves as a single unified self, what we call I is really a family of many part selves. In essence, what this is saying is that becoming a whole person, finding peace, is taking all of these parts and bringing them to Jesus. Because it is even, it's even in this reality, the part of you that you are most ashamed of, the part of you that you wish wasn't a part of you, your story, is still a part of you that Jesus loves. The part of you that struggles with sin and that you wish you could stop is still a part of you that Jesus loves. Because Jesus loves every part of who you are. And so we bring all of those parts to Jesus and Jesus reforms us. He makes us into something new. Just as we were formed in the garden and made in the image of God, God makes a new creation as he reforms us. As he recreates us into the likeness and the image of his son, Jesus. Now in this sphere of our relationship, the sphere of God, this would be the harmony we have in our relationship with God. And the reality is that for many of us, there, there are moments and there are, there are times when we feel distance from God. In the scriptures, it uses language describing our relationship with God using language like father and friend. They're relational terms, it's terms that would describe harmony and peace. But often there are things that drive a wedge between us and God. Sometimes that's our own doing. That we made a choice and we said something or did something that was on a path headed away from God. And instead of turning back to God, we continued to push farther and further away from God. Or other times it's the sin of somebody else. That somebody who claimed to follow the God of the Bible said or did something in his name that drove a wedge between you and God. Because if that was God and what God is like, you want nothing to do with him. Or perhaps it's a bad experience. Broken relationships within a church family. Or bad relationships with other Christians. Bad theology. Suffering. Evil in the world. That all causes you to question, could this God possibly be good? And if he is good, does he even want anything to do with you? And then the sphere of others is the reality that from the very beginning, God did not create human beings to live alone, but to be in relationship with one another. That God created human beings to be in relationship with other human beings who are made in the image of God. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, if it's possible on your part, live at peace with all men. Why? Because he wants for us there to be a harmony. He wants there to be a unity between us. Yet often what happens in all of these spheres as we find ourselves distracted from the image of God, that we find ourselves distracted from the image of God that existed in the beginning and also the image of the invisible God that Paul describes in the person of Jesus. Last week we began this series, Invisible Made Visible. And if you weren't here last week, we began by talking about the origins of humanity. Because it's in Genesis 1 that we see humanity is created in the image of God. And it's not long after that, that humanity is deceived, that a lie is told, that then distorts their view of themselves and their relationship to God. And in that distortion of their view and in their thinking, there is also a disordering of desires, desires 
that would have them choose to make good and evil in their own eyes instead of living as a part of the way of God and the kingdom of God. Now in Colossians 1, what we find and what we are continuing to revisit this week is we find Jesus undoing what was undone. That if the enemy undone, undid what was done in Genesis 1, Jesus in Colossians 1 is undoing that undoing. And so let me read that for us. Jesus, it says, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, by making shalom, through his blood shed on the cross. Central to the story of Christmas is a God who makes himself visible. That Jesus the, is the image of the invisible God. And if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how God responds in the brokenness, in the hurt of our world, if you want to know what Jesus does when there is a lack of peace, you look to the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus who shows up in a manger. The work of Jesus who shows up healing and offering life and resurrection. The work of Jesus who goes suffering on the cross. The work of Jesus who would rise again. Jesus shows up. And so Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. Because in Jesus we find Jesus doing what the first humanity couldn't do. We find Jesus doing what couldn't be done by Adam and Eve. And so Jesus comes to undo the pain and undo the brokenness, undo the disintegration or the fractioning of the human heart. Now I want to highlight two verses in particular about the work of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so first I want to highlight for us verse 17. It says this, it says, He, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. Some of you, when you showed up this morning, you did a really good job of putting on a happy face and shoving a bunch of things really, really far deep down. And some of you did that because when you came in here, you didn't want people to know. You don't want them to know what's really going on in your heart and the, and the things that you're thinking. But deep down you have these thoughts, these worries that keep going on and on. And you have these questions and these doubts. You're not sure where you stand with God. You're not sure where you stand with your family. And so you're trying to keep it together, aren't you? Like you're trying to keep it together and, you just, and you're just trying to figure out how do, I, how do I work and how do I take care of my kids and are my kids going to follow Jesus and how do I do this and how do I do that and what about the brokenness of this world and you're, you're meanwhile trying to come in and you're putting a smile on your face because you're trying to keep it all together and maybe what you need to hear is Jesus isn't asking you to hold it together. Because some of us spend so much energy trying to find a way to keep things all neat and tidy. And Jesus is saying, just bring it to me. I'm the one who holds things together, not you. You don't have to hold all the pieces of your life in order to keep peace in your world. Jesus is the one who does that. Now the enemy fights back. 
The enemy is not interested in us experiencing the peace that Jesus comes to offer. And so the enemy will disrupt peace by pulling things apart. The enemy will pull things apart in your own soul, disintegrating you from yourself in order for you to say, I want nothing to do with this part of me. I want nothing to do with, with who I am. And we find ourselves ashamed and hiding. That's what happens in the garden. Adam and Eve hide from God. It's a disruption that happens in their own soul. And that disruption distorts our own relationship and understanding of God. It leads to division in our relationship with other people. The enemy pulls us apart. Now in Genesis 3, the way that happens, we talked about this a bit last week, but it happens because a seed is planted. The enemy unravels all of the shalom that existed in the garden with a seed of deception. That he tells a lie. And when that lie is planted in the hearts of human beings, they begin to ask questions like, am I enough? Or is God holding out on me? Does God have something better if I were to be more like one of the gods? Knowing good and evil. Am I enough? Am I loved just the way that I am? And as they then eat from the fruit in the, of the tree that they were not supposed to, what happens? That lie leads to blame. Because Adam points the finger. He says, well, it's her fault. And she points the finger. It's the serpent's fault. What do we, isn't, is that not what we always do when we believe the lies? We begin to cast blame, which leads to division. A disruption in the harmony between Adam and Eve, but not just Adam and Eve. Even within their own hearts and their relationships to each other, to the garden, and their relationship with God. Another way you could say it, what was once held together got pulled apart. And so you and I live in a world that has been pulled apart by the disruption of peace, which is called sin. And like Adam and Eve, we often experience the same pattern because somebody believes a lie. Somebody believes a lie that makes us no longer see the goodness of the image of God. And instead of seeing the image of God, we see a person to blame because it's easier to blame them to actually deal with our own sin. It's easy to point out the problem with them instead of deal with what's in our own heart. And so we begin to cast blame and it divides our relationships. It breaks apart our families and our workplaces and our communities. And we find ourselves disrupted from what God wanted to exist in this world. But Paul says about Jesus, it, it, it doesn't just end with a God who is trying to hold things together, but it's being pulled apart by the enemy. Paul says about Jesus in verse 20, that, that this same God who's made himself visible through him, he reconciles to himself all things. In other words, he's pulling it back together. He's getting into the fight, bringing things back together, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus brings together what's been driven apart. The problem is it's just a lot easier to cast blame, isn't it? It's just a lot easier to blame the other person than to look inward. It's a lot easier to point the finger than to take ownership. Casting blame is far easier than finding shalom. Than finding peace, we'd rather feel content dividing and separating and fighting and arguing. And so instead of seeing what Jesus has done in Colossians 1 verse 20, we, we end up distracted from the very image of God that existed in the beginning and that Jesus came to restore. 
And so what do we do? We try to come up with our own way to create peace. We try to come up with our own solution, our own systems, our own problem solving. Right? It's why self-help books are so popular. Because we know we need help, and so we keep buying book after book after book. The problem is it doesn't actually ever give us peace, does it? And it might, and it might legitimately be helpful. Right? It, may, it might help you make more money, be a better good business leader, it might help your marriage. Right? But it treats the symptoms. It doesn't ever actually treat the problem. It doesn't actually give us peace. You know what another place is that we often try to find our own peace? Religion. And we can feel really good about it when we turn to religious mechanisms and systems to find our peace. But you know what often happens when we turn to religion apart from the image of God? We create a God in our image instead of realizing we're made in his. All right, let me say that one more time because I think it's really important. Often when we turn to religious devotion apart from what Jesus is doing, we create God in our own image instead of realizing we're made in his. And if you want to know if you're doing this, ask yourself some, some hard questions. Does God agree with everything I think? Like, does God agree with me about every, every thought, every issue, every idea? Because maybe if God agrees with you in everything, maybe you are actually your own God instead of the God the scriptures call Yahweh. Maybe you've set yourself up on the throne instead of Jesus on the throne. See, I believe often we are distracted from seeing the image of God. That we are distracted from seeing the goodness that began in the garden. And seeing the goodness that Jesus wants to restore as he reconciles to us all things. And we are distracted from seeing the end of the story where Jesus creates another garden. Where the image of God is flourishing in the new creation. Jesus, though, does what we can't find for ourselves. Jesus makes peace. Jesus does it through his blood. Jesus' blood does what the self-help books can't. Jesus' blood does what your efforts for justice can't. Jesus' blood does what your religious commitments can't. Jesus' blood does what therapy can't. It restores what's been divided and lost and ripped apart and he brings it together through his own blood. In Matthew 17, Jesus teaches us the same thing using a story or more of an illustration, if you will, of the kingdom. When he says it this way, truly I tell you, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so things began in a garden made in the image of God. The thing that disrupted the peace in that garden was a seed of a lie. And that seed of a lie grew into the gardens that exist in our world and our culture today. Gardens that are flourishing with the lies of the enemy. Flourishing, deceiving us, and distorting our views of ourselves and the way we live in this broken world. And the thing that Jesus says will disrupt those gardens is a different seed. Seeds. Of faith. If, if things were ripped apart by seeds of deception, Jesus things brings back things together with seeds of faith. Faith that holds to the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those seeds are seeds that hold on to Jesus. 
There was a pastor I was recently reading from Tennessee who pointed out that most of the time when we read this passage, we, we highlight that just a small amount of faith can do really, really big things for God. And while there's some truth there, I think there's something even more powerful in the truth of the mustard seed. There was a legend that in the days before the Roman Empire, the king of Persia, Darius, and Alexander the Great had a confrontation. And like any good rivalry, they taunted each other. Right, trash talked each other about the ensuing battle. And so King Darius taunted Alexander the Great with a bag of seeds. And so he delivers this bag of sesame seeds to him, highlighting the multitude of his army. In other words, saying, look, you can't even count all the seeds in this bag. That's how many of us there are. There's no way you win. And Alexander the Great sends seeds in return. But he doesn't send more seeds. He sends mustard seeds. And in that smaller bag of mustard seeds, he sends with it a note that allegedly said, you may be many, but we are powerful. See, mustard seeds in the day of Jesus were known for being disruptive to gardens. In fact, they were, they were weeds. They would take over everything. If you plant a mustard seed, say goodbye to whatever garden, whatever garden is growing, no matter how big it's flourishing. In fact, Jewish law forbid people from planting mustard seeds in the gardens. And so if the seeds of the lie that have grown into flourishing gardens in our own world were planted by seeds of deception, perhaps it's the seeds of faith that Jesus say will disrupt even those gardens. See, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire built gardens. And their garden claimed to offer a system of peace to the world they lived in. The problem was they built peace on the back, uh, back of the marginalized and the oppressed. They offered a system of peace and claimed to bring peace to the entire world. In fact, they even claimed that the Roman Empire was God in the flesh. Yet the garden that they built and the system they created didn't actually offer for people peace. The religious people in Jesus' day created their own version of peace. They created their own system, their own garden. Their garden that looked more like legalism and religious devotion, but also didn't give people peace. And so then Jesus comes along and he tells the story and says, well, faith is like a mustard seed. And perhaps the thing that Jesus is pointing out is he's pointing to the garden of Rome and he's pointing to, to the garden of religion and saying, this seed is going to disrupt all of that. Maybe that's why they were so angry. Maybe that's why they wanted to kill him, because Jesus was disrupting their gardens. And perhaps some of us have some gardens that need to be disrupted because we've looked for peace and some things have been growing that have been taking over the way we see ourselves, the way that we see the world around us. And those things look nothing like the image of God. See, when the seeds of faith grow, they grow into something different. Something, and when it clings to truth, that doesn't grow into blame. Seeds of faith grows into ownership. Because faith produces the kind of person that says, I know my own responsibility in this problem. Faith is the kind of person who begins to take account for their own sin, for their own culpability in the disruption of the shalom that's in our world. That begins to see our own sin. And also, as it begins to have eyes to see our own sin, it begins to transform the way we see another person. Because that ownership produces love. The Holy Spirit begins to transform us. 
Because as we see our own sin and that Jesus has come to restore the image that was lost, we also begin to see the other person through that same lens. As the people that we saw as against us are actually people who are made in the image of God, people who are actually loved and forgiven by God, perhaps it's then that we actually find the shalom that Jesus has come to bring. Now last week as we ended our sermon, we talked about a couple of different practices. And those practices are not to give you more of Jesus. It's just a way to help remind us and integrate these thoughts and these ideas and beliefs into our daily life. And so again, I want to give you a couple different practices. And so if we're talking about those different spheres of shalom, I want to give you practices for self, practices for your relationship with God, practices for your relationship with other people that I believe will help. And your offer of shalom comes simply through the blood of Jesus, not by doing these things. But I also believe that by doing these things, it can help remind you of the very seed that God is trying to plant in the soil of your heart. And so the first practice I want to give you is in the sphere of your relationship with God. It's an ancient practice that is really simple. It's called confession. In James chapter 5, it it says it this way, confess therefore your sins to one another. Now, depending on your church background, if you've had a bad church experiences, perhaps in a Catholic background or a liturgical church experience, you might even like not like that language of confession. That, I, that might make you uncomfortable. Um, that language, though, originates in the scriptures, and there's something incredibly healing and helpful about confessing your sins to another person. Now, what's important here is the idea of confession isn't just you in your head quietly to God. It's actually suggesting there's another human being on the other end of that confession. So it's you looking another person in the eye and owning the mess. Saying, here's the stuff I'm not proud of. Here are the parts of me that I am most ashamed of. And you speak those things out loud to another person. Which gives that person an opportunity to speak the words of Jesus back to you. I believe that transforms you, that changes you. It helps you become the person that Jesus wants you to be. One priest by the name of Sarah Condon actually described confession beautifully. She said it this way, being in the presence of our Savior means facing your own soul. Being in the presence of Jesus means giving up on hiding your best kept secrets, your addiction to booze, porn, and yelling at your kids. Jesus, it turns out, knows about all that stuff. I imagine many of us would rather scrub floors than deal honestly with the mess of our own souls. Perhaps that's the place for us to begin to deal with the mess of our own souls. To be honest. To be honest, that comes because we know we've been made in the image of God and there are moments where we look nothing like it. Yet that brings that to Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who has also promised to reform us into his likeness. Now, the second practice I want to give you last week, we practiced some I am affirmation statements, opportunities for you to try to rewire your brain by saying things out loud that Jesus says of you. I want to twist that a little bit this week and encourage what I'm calling others affirmations. And so if last week we were reminding yourself of who Jesus says you are, I want this week you to maybe add on to that and remind yourself of who Jesus says they are. Because what would happen if the person that you were in conflict with, you began your day reminding yourself that they are a child of God, that they are made in the image of God, that they are loved by God, they are known by God? How would that conflict change? Like what would happen if you were in a fight with your spouse and in the back of your mind the Holy Spirit was reminding you they're loved. They're beautiful. 
they're known. Like, would that not anger you in the moment of that conflict that the Holy Spirit was interrupting you, reminding you that they're made in the image of God? And so this next week, I, I would encourage you, say these things out loud about somebody else. Say things like they're loved, they're known, they're good, they're strong, they're beautiful, they're brave, they're enough, they're free. Maybe even, maybe you even need to go to another level. Maybe you say their name as well. And the last sphere I want to give you a practice for is for that sphere of self. Because in light of the reality that we often have to deal with these parts of ourselves because there's pain, because there's hurt and suffering. The last practice I want to encourage you is to get in therapy. I believe, I believe everybody needs a good therapist. My therapist is incredible for me. Um, and I believe a good therapist can help you ask some important questions that give to you some healing. That give you healing and help you see yourself as somebody who's made in the image of God. I believe that can be a helpful practice. And so if you go to faithtroy.org care, on that you will find some resources that can help you find care that can, do some, that can help you do some internal work. That if it's addiction you're struggling with, you can find other people who are struggling with addiction. That if you are walking through a season of grief, you can find grief share groups to help you walk through those seasons. If you are looking for a therapist, it can give you a list of recommended therapists. Because in that, it invites you to see yourself the way God sees you. And sometimes that requires the, the voice of another person who can objectively look at all the pieces and the parts and ask questions about your story and the pain and the trauma, who can visit those things and help you make connections that you can't make on your own. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And there are so many things that the enemy will use to drive us apart to drive us apart from our understanding of ourselves, to drive us apart from our relationship with God, to drive us apart from our relationship with other people. But Jesus, when he shows up, when he makes himself visible, he does so to bring about reconciliation, to bring things back together, to give us peace, peace that we learn and hear is through his blood. That Jesus makes himself visible to remake us into his image by offering his life for us. Let me pray for us and we'll take some moments to prepare our hearts for communion. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who shows up, that you make yourself visible. And that in the midst of our own pain and our hurts and our suffering, that you don't stay distant, but that you show up among us. We thank you that you live among us, that you came as a baby, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again, that you continue to promise your presence with us. And Jesus, as we look at our lives, we can evaluate so many areas of our life where there isn't peace. We can look internally at our own hearts and our souls and find ourselves divided in our thoughts and our desires. And Jesus, we pray that you would bring peace to our own souls. God, we can look even to our relationship with you and find that there is distance between us. And maybe it's because of the things we've said and done. Maybe it's because of things that have been said and done to us that we find ourselves far from you. Jesus, would you draw us close? 
And Jesus, for many of us, it's in the relationship with other people that we find there to be a lack of peace, that there is hurt and there is damage between two people, between many people who are made in the image of God. And Jesus, we just pray that you would give healing, that you would give us peace in those places in our life. And Jesus, practicing the very thing that it grows out of the seeds of faith that you give us, you invite us to confess our sins, to be honest with you about our own sin. And so in this moment, as we prepare to celebrate your body and your blood, I pray that you would bring to our heart and our mind our own sin the areas in our life where we find ourselves distracted from the image of God that exists in us and we fail to treat others in light of the image of God that exists in them. And so hear us as we confess these things to you. promise of Jesus is that he hears your confessions and that he promises to transform you, to remake you into a person of love. Jesus promises you his peace and he gives that to you through his blood. Jesus says to each and every one of you that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.